0: All right, so welcome to Theology the Live Sessions, or TLS as we might call it. (laughs) Um, uh, It's great to see people here. Obviously there there are others. I know there's at least five other people that, um, or six now actually, that would be here but can't come on this particular one. So if it builds up any more, we might have to start moving into uh, the other room actually, which is good. Good problem to have. Um, And... um, the way it's going to work, obviously, it's it's live, so it's going to be a live kind of um, opportunity to debate and talk and stuff. But at the same time, obviously, I want to give you some content and some context. And so, what's going to happen typically is I will give a sort of introductory talk for maybe 15, 20 minutes, just to sort of outline whatever the subject of the day is, and then I'll ask some questions, and we will then, you know, break into groups. We'll have um, you know, coffee, tea, scones this morning, whichever you know, <coughs> refreshment uh, we end up with. Um, and that will help our discussion. So we'll we'll debate and discuss together, um, answering some of these questions. And then I'll come back and then do another sort of 15 minutes or so, just to sort of round up. And also, I'll tend to give my own view as well. Um, <coughs> because the whole point, of course, of theology is that people have different views. People don't always... Um, see things exactly the same way and I'm not expecting everybody to agree with me but if I just threw out loads of questions and never answered them that could be a bit frustrating so um, I'll give my view but that's not saying that that's the church view that's just my view okay so um, there's room on your notes to to make additional notes but most of what I'm saying is is down there I wanted to give people paper notes because then you've got something to refer back to easily and it means you don't need to type up the whole thing into your device or you know whatever. Um, so without further ado, let's get started. So this is a kind of introduction, it's a, the first three of these actually are going to be laying a foundation for all the ones that follow. So if you can possibly make these three then that would be, be really good. So this first one is how to study theology without damaging your faith. And I have good reason for saying that, because I've seen quite a few people embark on studying theology who've then taken a bit of a nosedive for various reasons. Um, And we can go into that in a bit, but um, that, I trust, is not what we're going to do. We're going to strengthen our faith through this and deepen our faith. Okay, so what is theology? Well, it comes from two Greek words, theos, meaning God, and Logos, familiar word to to us Christians, uh, meaning the word or um, understanding, that kind of thing. So theology is literally the word about God or the study of God. But before we get into it, I just wanted to give this little quote from Alastair McGrath because I think this is a, a good sort of point to start with. Christianity is not and never has been about finding the right combination of words. It's about encountering the living and loving God. And that's what we've got to really keep as our foundation here. We've got to say, this is about relationship. So theology, it's an an attempt to describe God and his ways and to understand him. But we can never do it outside of a relationship with him. Um, Obviously, we're going to be looking a lot into the Bible, but even the Bible... It's human language, and human language can never fully describe God. Um, God can't be contained in that way. Um, Only Jesus, the incarnate Word, the Logos, can fully describe God. So if you want to know what theology is, really, theology is Christ. Mm -hmm. He is pure theology because he is the Word about God in human form. So it's really in a, in a close relationship with Jesus that we can start to understand and that's where we've got to firmly hold on uh, because if theology just becomes about knowledge human knowledge then we've lost the plot and uh, we need to stay in that relationship with him. Okay, uh, So who is it for? Well it's not just for academics or church leaders it's for everybody and in fact we all do theology actually we might not think we do, but whenever we say something like the Bible teaches, or make a statement like God is in control, or, or any of these things, we're doing theology. We're reflecting our theology. We're, it's just a question of whether we've got good theology or not so good theology. And as we do it, come in Matthew, sit down. Have a folder. Um, as we do it, we're actually learning about ourselves as well, because we're made in the image of God. So it's a worthwhile pursuit. But there are some dangers. And uh, in the notes, I've just highlighted three of them. And I've seen people go down these routes. And so, again, it's a little note of caution. If, If we start to reduce theology to just an accumulation of knowledge, then we get into intellectualism and we can easily become competitive and we start saying, oh you think that, you know, and we kind of compare and uh, it becomes about um, stuff it's not meant to be about, it ceases to be about relationship you know, we're meant to be grappling with this relational God that we serve Mm -hmm. but we can get proud, we can get obsessed with details uh, we can miss the big picture and uh, it actually becomes a bit harsh and dogmatic sometimes when people get into that that mode of thinking. They start to become a bit superior, you know. So that's intellectualism. The, another one is confusion. And this is possibly, you know, maybe you're not tremendously intellectual, but you want to know about something. So you'd start to investigate theology, and you suddenly realise that there are so many options out there. Um, you think, hang on a minute. Who's right? I was taught one thing, but actually there's this and there's that and there's the other. And people can sometimes think, oh my goodness, if the theologians can't agree, then how can I possibly ever hope to understand? And so they sort of draw back from theology or study in confusion and start to think, uh, I, can't, I can't do this. You know, as they begin to realise that there's a whole world out there. And at the moment, in the evangelical world, there, there are changes happening. You know, there's a lot of... <coughs> Questioning, um, and that has to be a good thing generally. Um, but there are, you know, there are challenges coming to our traditional evangelical understanding of things, and even, you know, even even amongst traditional evangelicals, there's always been a bit of a difference in different areas. But right now, there are across the Christian world, there are people coming and looking afresh at key doctrines and thinking. Do, have we actually got this right? Are we, are we expressing this right? Um, do we need to, to sort of shift this in the light of the fact that our culture's changed? Um, you know, and actually, some people go, you know, really going for this and sort of, you know, they take the handbrake off, put foot to the floor, and think, yay, let's go for that. Other people are going, whoa, you know, um, not so fast. Um, but there are changes going on, so we need to be aware of them because we will come across them, Um, we can't just sit in our bunker and say, well, what we were taught 20 years ago is the final truth and that's it. Um, Neither do we just willy-nilly grab hold of everything that's coming along without question. And that's what I want us to do. I want us to grapple with some of these areas throughout this series. I want us to grapple with some of these areas that are um, being questioned in, in the Christian world and think, well, what's good about this and what's not so good? What's important about where we're coming from that we don't want to let go of? Um, and what is just, actually, this could be a good way to, to understand things. Okay, so we're going we're to debate some of these things. Um, but we don't want to get into confusion, you know. We, we want to, um, we don't want to retreat from theology and sort of go, ah, well, we can't ever really understand this um we don't want to get into a sort of anti-intellectualism that sort of says well it's all counterproductive um because it's not you know we do need to to grapple with these things now the third issue that sometimes people get into is doubt now i know doubt can you know some people have portrayed doubt as a, as a positive thing at times you know if the if you 're so so certain about everything that can actually be unhealthy. But the kind of doubt i 'm talking about here is where we start to actually doubt the basics um, and what can happen um, you know particularly as we 're starting to open our minds to all these other things that are out there and, and we've grown up in a particular church culture. You know, when we were born again or when we were growing up as a child, if we grew up in a Christian environment, we probably grew up in a spe- in a particular flavor of church and a particular flavor of theology. And as we move forward, we we begin to, you know, we think, oh, and over there, there's a, a group of Christians that... They're basically Bible-believing, and they, but they think certain things that are different to what I think, and yet God is evidently blessing them. And we can start to get into kind of unsettled feeling of, hang on, does that mean that, are they wrong? Are we wrong? It's, are they right? And particularly if we're, we're sort of prone to intellectualism, we can start to analyse and then... Um, it, we start to wonder whether our church teachers of the past were trustworthy. Can we trust them? You know, what, what, else, can I, what else isn't quite right if that's not right? Um, and, you know, we can get into the situation where we start to decide that we're going to, particularly if we're intellectuals, we can start to think, right, I'm going to be the arbiter. And people sometimes set themselves up as, right, nobody else knows i'm going to decide from scratch what's right and so in their minds they set themselves up as the judge and i've seen people go down this path where in doing that they then let go of the relationship they have with god and it becomes a question of right well i'm not sure i can believe that anymore because there's so much difference i'm going to start to doubt whether the bible is the word of god i'm going to start to doubt whether god is actually leading us whether we're just all going up the garden path. And I've seen people come to basically a spiritual shipwreck that way, Um, because they've not put any limits, they've not kept that relationship that I was talking about at the beginning. Now, later on, this is not all doom and gloom, (laughs) later on uh, in part two this morning, I'm going to talk about a different way to approach our faith that avoids all that or that, you know, that, that strengthens us so that we can study these things without getting into intellectualism or confusion or doubt. Um, and it will give us the, the confidence to actually tackle and discuss some of the things that are challenging the Christian faith at the moment, that are challenging the evangelical faith from within, um, and actually engage with them constructively but without... Uh, endangering our own faith. Okay, so that's that's why I've called this session How to Study Theology Without Damaging Your Faith. Um, okay, so let's have a quick look at some of the things that are currently being questioned. So we're, in a moment we're going to have a discussion. We're going to have a cup of coffee and uh, some scones courtesy of Samantha out there who's listening and preparing I believe. Um, so there's a few bullet points here. So just have a quick read through some of these examples of where christian thinking has been changing and has been challenged in recent times so and I, pay attention to how you feel when you read these okay so <clears throat> when jesus died was he really being punished by god the father to satisfy wrath or should we understand the cross in another way many christians are seeing things differently now There was a big hoo-ha a few years ago when Steve Chalk uh, came out and talked about, you know, mentioned the words cosmic child abuse in connection with traditional theories of the atonement, you know, so I'll just leave that hanging there for a moment. Um, Second one, does hell mean conscious torment forever? Increasing numbers of believers are completely against that. Um, Does God sovereignly decide everything that happens in advance or is he more flexible somehow? And there's a variety of answers there. There's a bit of a spectrum of of answers, depending on who you you talk to. Does the Bible contain any errors? Many people say, no, absolutely not. It's important that the Bible is completely inerrant, fault-free in in its original form. But a lot of evangelical Christians these days are happy to say, yeah, it, it does contain errors, but it's still the Word of God. Um... Did creation happen in six literal days or was it over a longer time? Did God use evolution to bring about the world as we know it, for example? And again, Bible-believing Christians are not uniform in their their stance there. So the questions to discuss over coffee, (laughs) I've obviously opened up some fairly big subjects there, which we're not going to cover in this this time today, but we will hit all of these as we go through. So firstly, when you read those statements, how do you feel? Do you feel intrigued? Are you thinking, wow, this is exciting, you know, I'd quite like to explore some of this? Or are you thinking, oh dear, this is all kind of rather unsettling? Or are you thinking, this is of the devil, it should be stamped out? (laughs) Um, Or are you just kind of, you know? And and as we understand our own reactions, um, you know, that will help us as uh, as we try and move forward into a... That's a, a different way of approaching things. So have a think about that as you get your coffee. And then when you come back in, if you, get, if you grab a scone and whatever in a moment, then get together in twos and threes and, th- and just discuss which which of those statements, if any of them, is most controversial to you. And why is that? And then if you get time, you know, what do you hope to get out of this theology course? You know, but that's a sort of freebie at the end that uh, you may not get on to. So... Okay so we'll uh, we'll break now hopefully that started to get the juices flowing a little bit and then uh, we'll come back in we'll we'll break for about sort of 15 minutes something like that might bat a few things around and then we'll get on with the next session all right all right so hopefully that was a useful uh, a useful little chat no doubt, you've, you've started to open up stuff and discuss things that are... Uh, you might have discovered that different ones of us have got different views, say, Rob. <laughs> um, but it's interesting how we react when these things come along. Because we can sometimes react defensively, and say, no, 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 no don't go down there, that's a dangerous route to go down. Um, or we can be a bit unsettled or nervous, and um, maybe therefore just feel a bit worried about pressing into some of these things. Uh, but what I'm going to what I'm going to outline in this next just this next little talk is a way of approaching theology which I believe will strengthen us and equip us to be able to handle some of these juicy, crunchy issues that we're going to be looking at, because we're not holding back in this, this course, we're looking at you know, pretty much every controversial <laughs> subject we can think of, <laughs> uh, because these things are under discussion, you know, because, and it's important because people will ask us about them and we need to have thought about it. That's not to say that we always have to have a perfect answer every time anybody asks us, because, you know, we won't. And sometimes we can say, well, do you know what? I'm still working that one through, and that's okay. Um, oh, I didn't give everybody the other sheet, did I? I kept this one back just because, um, as I say, I don't like people reading too far ahead. You know, <laughs> I'm, a little, I'm trying not to be a control freak. I'm trying not to be a control freak. But there's just, if you can just take one and pass the rest on, there's, there's one sheet there. Um, Is it just one sheet? Just one sheet, yeah. yeah. Okay, so this part two is called A New Basis for Faith. And we're asking the question, what does our faith rest on? What does our trust in Jesus rest on? Because faith means trust. And it's about Mm -hmm. a relationship with him. Now, who remembers or knows the game Jenga? Yes. Yes. Yeah? So you, you start off with this, you've got a big tower of wooden blocks. And they start off quite neat and fairly stable. What happens is that when it's your turn, you have to pull out one of the blocks from the structure and put it on the top. And gradually, as you go around the table, more and more of these blocks get moved or removed. And you put them on the top and the whole thing gets more and more unstable. And more and more gaps. And then eventually the whole thing topples over and comes crashing down. Now, sometimes our faith can be like that. The way we structure our thoughts and our, our understanding of God can be a, like a tower that our faith sits on top of. Now, I'm going to, a bit of a, I need to give credit where credit's due. Um, this illustration comes from David Matthew, who some of you have met before he's been to speak here. He's a great Bible teacher, and this is from his book, uh, A Poke in the Faith. Um, which is very good, actually, and it's about, it's about the things we're going to be talking about, actually. So I'm going to be drawing on that book quite a bit in the course of this, um, this whole series. But he, he basically says that these bricks are like individual truths or individual doctrines or our understanding. And quite often, people have got um, certain foundational truths. So maybe right at the bottom, you might have something like, the Bible is God's Word. And then on top of that, you, build, you you put down another brick, which is, therefore, God is real. And then you, on another, you know, there are other bricks, and you build it up, and it's like, well, Jesus did this and that. And then you build more and more doctrines on top, and the whole thing becomes a structure on which your faith is resting. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then when somebody comes along and says, do you know what, I'm not sure about that particular truth anymore. I think we need to look at this in a different way. It's like somebody's taking one of these bricks and giving it a poke and shifting the brick and maybe that brick falls out altogether because you suddenly think I can't see that the way I used to see it anymore. Now if enough of these bricks get shifted eventually the whole thing can come crashing down. And I think we've, we've seen that. You know we, we can all think of people where that that kind of thing has happened. Um, and this structure, this way of thinking It's actually encouraged by theologians sometimes, wrongly. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever seen a a systematic theology. It's a big, thick book. Um, And very often, they're they're usually written by a, you know, a a particularly clever (laughs) guy. (laughs) And uh, in the olden days, systematic theologies, when they were written, they used to start with either the doctrine of man, or humanity, because that's who we are, obviously, and they build stuff up from that. Mm -hmm. Or, quite commonly, they'd start from the doctrine of God. You know, God is this, that, and the other, and then come in with human beings, and the doctrine of the Church, and and Jesus, and salvation, all that, and everything built up. But in more recent times, um, people have been writing these systematic theologies, beginning with the doctrine of the Word of God. Starting with the Bible, and saying the Bible is true and authoritative, and they usually say it's absolutely inerrant, and they build everything up on top of that. And so we're encouraged by, you know, these systematic theologies, (coughs) and by the teaching that comes out of them, and by the preaching that we've heard, that we can trust everything else because of that foundational truth. So if somebody comes along and starts poking that brick and saying, Do you know what, I think the Bible's more of a human book than we realised, and there might be the odd thing in there that's wrong or contradictory, we then suddenly get all wobbly because somebody's pulled that brick out. Um, or, uh, let's take another one There's, from the notes here. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the beliefs being questioned today is was Adam, as in Adam and Eve, was Adam a real individual? Was he a real person? Uh, traditionally we would say yes, um, but you know a number of evangelicals are now saying, well do you know what, I think the Bible uses Adam as a cipher which is like a, a representative human being, a representative name to sort of represent the whole of humanity like a metaphor. Um, and some people are fine with that, others kind of go, whoa, hang on a minute, that's kind of, that's shifting one of my bricks, and that makes me feel a bit unstable, because if I if I can't accept Adam as a real person, then what else in the Bible is, isn't what I thought it was? And and some go even further and say, well, Paul uses Adam and Jesus as, uh, in, in a very particular way, you know, basically Jesus is the last Adam. And... You know if, if Adam wasn't historical then maybe Jesus isn't historical and they've either got to be both historical or not you know and and they get into a bit of a tiz. Um, I personally don't think the argument that they have to both be historical is particularly strong um, but for some people it's a it's a tower wobbler you know and that they, they kind of because of this thing about Adam they can start to question other things as well. Now personally I my own view is that Adam was a real person. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean, and we'll get onto the sort of creation and evolution stuff later in the series, but it could be, for example, that there's a whole bunch of humanoid creatures, hominids, you know, advanced animals um, with intelligence and tools and stuff, around on the earth, and God picks a pair of them and says, right, you are now going to be my image on the earth and he breathes his spirit into them and gives them a conscience and a consciousness of himself that none of the other animals or humanoids have so that's one way of understanding it but there are other ways of understanding it but i think the point is that none of that has to really make a difference as far as our day-to-day relationship with jesus is concerned and our faith in him Um, and thankfully there are other things that we can rest our faith on and it has to as I said, as I keep saying, I'm really hammering this from the beginning, it has to be about our personal relationship with Jesus and why should bits of scripture that we don't understand or bits of doctrine that we don't understand, why should that affect that and why don't we just make a decision right now before we you know, you know go ahead with this course, why don't we make a decision that we're not going to let Tricky bits that we don't understand um, affect our relationship with God. Uh, many of us will remember Lily Hickman, who uh, went to be with the Lord a year or two ago, but when she was here, um, her husband Tom was one of the elders here, for, for, uh, Rob and June will remember them, um, one of the things she said, and she's been quoted so many times on this that it might not be the exact words that she used, but she basically said, don't let what you don't understand detract from what you do believe. Uh, and that was wise, wise advice. And I think that's that's right. So, so okay, Jesus is at the centre. Um, we also need to get the Bible in the right place. Um, now, in saying this, I, I love the Bible. I, I became a Christian through reading the Bible. Um, nobody talked to me about God, at least not in that period of my life. I had heard Gospel presentations before, and it just sort of went straight over my head. And then at one point when I was 16 or 17, I was just provoked to start reading the Bible. And it came alive to me in a way that I've never, I had never experienced up to that point. And so without anybody knowing, from, from being not interested to becoming a Christian, I just read the Bible day by day and, and I became a Christian. As a result of that, You know, I, I called out to God and I, you know, that, that's what brought me to faith. So I'm well aware of the power of the Bible. I'm well aware of its importance, but it's not the fourth member of the Trinity. Some people treat the Bible as if it's this kind of... They put it almost on a level with Jesus. Now, I'm not doing the Bible down, because through the Bible, that's where we get most of our information about God and Jesus, and it's it's where God reveals himself in a very powerful way. Um, But I'm not going to let... Little obscure bits of the Bible that i don 't understand detract from my relationship with a living Savior with the living Word um, rather than trusting in Jesus because we believe the Bible, why not believe the Bible because we trust in Jesus um, there's a, Augustine was a famous theologian of sort of three or four hundred a d and, and he had this this uh, he used to talk about understanding through faith. Uh, and he was picked up on by a guy called Anselm of Canterbury in about mm-hmm. 1100, 10, you know, 1100 AD, something yeah. like that. And he's, he picked up on Augustine's yeah. teaching and he said, I don't um, believe because I reason. I believe and therefore I reason. Or I, yeah. I don't reason myself to faith. But through my faith, I then begin to reason and understand. Mm -hmm. And that's the order we've got to approach things in. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not going to decide that we're going to have faith once we've reasoned it all through. We're going to believe in Jesus, and then that's going to open our understanding. Okay, so how can we do that? Well, there's a few reasons here why we can do that. Firstly... It's good to know that there are many writings outside the Bible that talk about Jesus, about the fact that he was a real historical person that actually died. Uh, some of them actually even suggest that he rose again. Josephus, a, a Jewish historian, talks about Jesus in quite a lot of depth. They, they often don't, they don't talk about the why, but there are Greek, Roman um, and Jewish writers of the time that talk about Jesus, so we know from that that he was real, that he was historical. As I say, it doesn't talk about the why, but they also talk about the effect that he had and, the, and the, what his followers did. You know, the Romans got quite annoyed that not only were the Christians helping their own poor, but they'd even started helping their poor. You know, they were quite indignant that the Christians were helping the non-Christian poor, you know, in Rome. Um, So that's that's one thing, historical evidence outside the Bible. Secondly, we can look back on our own personal experience of God. And we've all, in different ways, had encounters of one kind or another with God. And we can look down on personal experience. You know, evangelicals tend to say, oh, no, well, you know, faith that rests on an experience is substandard. You know, we can quote Jesus, we can quote the scripture that talks about... He's talking to Thomas, and he says, um, you believe because you've seen, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And we can take that too far, and we can start to think that faith that gets uh, birthed through, for example, seeing a miracle, is somehow substandard. And yet Jesus himself said, believe on the evidence of the miracles. He said that to his disciples. <laughs> so our own experience with God is not invalid you know that the encounters that we have I I know something happened to me when I was 17 Mm. through reading the Bible and I know when I prayed to God something happened Mm. I can't explain it but I just know it happened so and it was more than just um, my emotions at the time or whatever because nothing was wrong in my life at the time really um, relatively speaking so personal experience is valued in the Bible, you know. Um, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So again, you know, personal experience of, of God. Uh, the Bible points to experience. It reminds, um, reminds us of what God has done. You know, time and again, the Israelites were reminded of what he'd done for them in their, their recent history. You know, and look at what he's done for you. Um, you know, Paul... Talks about it in um, in one of his letters. He says, you know, does God work miracles and you know, give you His Spirit because of this, this, and this? And he is talking about, you know, they believed and therefore this happened. But he's pointing out what God is doing here and now amongst them as evidence for uh, the reality of God working in their lives. So, so nobody nobody can deny our encounter with God. You know, no matter how skeptical somebody is about. Particular fa- uh, statements or doctrines they can't deny our personal encounters with God so that's the second one thirdly, and I think this is a big one 2,000 years of Christian history mm-hmm. nobody can deny the impact that Jesus of Nazareth had on this world we date our entire calendar from him mm-hmm. um, there are billions of followers now of, of Jesus and they're, they're just the Transforming power of Christ and the gospel wherever it's known. Now there are obviously darker episodes in the history of the church or the history of those who called themselves church, and we're not talking about those, but in general, just the power of his life and, and what he did and and the fact that wherever the gospel is received, people's lives change. Communities are transformed, you know, society benefits wherever this message is received and of course miracles do happen people are healed people are set free from drugs and from depression and anxiety and and this has been going on for for millennia you know wherever christ is received so i think that's a big thing that we can look at and rest and sort of rest our faith on uh, fourthly um believing in Jesus it, it just makes sense um, it's the best way I know of to make sense of the world around us you know we've got it's a beautiful world but it, you can sort of feel it's somehow corrupted you know that human beings have got so much potential and yet they're so rebellious um, and so the idea of a loving creator God who created this fantastic amazing world and created so, the human beings with such potential <laughs> And the, but the fact that they don't live up to that but then there's a God of grace that comes and intervenes when we don't get it right mm-hmm. it just makes more sense than mm. philosophical arguments that just prove hollow and empty so there's those four things, so rather than resting our faith on a, a structure of interlocking beliefs based on you know some foundational truth that could be poked and wobbled, why not make a decision, I'm going to base my Faith on a whole spread of things, including these things, these four. So the historical reality of Jesus, the experiences that we and others around us have had of him, and the, the evidence of him moving in our lives, the, the centuries and thousands of years of human history that have shown and demonstrated the power of the Gospel, and then just the fact that it makes sense of the world. You know, let's, let's kind of open ourselves up and think, right, that, makes a lot of sense and then if somebody comes along and questions our exact understanding of what happened on the cross doesn't need to shake us because we know Jesus is with us anyway we know he's powerful we know he's He's guiding us we know that uh, he's building his church and we can engage with some of these things without it needing to destabilize us does that make sense? Okay, <coughs> so just a uh, couple of final thoughts, and then we'll close. We'll have a bit of time for Q and A. If, if any, you know, I'll release people to go downstairs if they, they need to go or go off down the road in case of in the case of Emma. Um, and uh, but uh, before we do, I'll just uh, give a couple of thoughts here. First one is God's blessing on us or our church family does not depend on us having good theology in every detail. Aren't we glad about that? <laughs> Um, God doesn't wait until we've got all the I's dotted and T's crossed on our theology before he starts to use us, before it starts to bless us. Now when you think about the, the stuff that happened in the Middle Ages, when the only church that existed was the Catholic Church, which had a lot of very duff theology <laughs> at the time, there were people in the Catholic Church that loved God and they saw miracles. God moved, you know, there were people who understood God They had dodgy theology in certain areas, but but people got healed and saved, and um, if God was waiting for us to to get it all right, nothing would ever happen. Um, So that means that if we see another Christian group somewhere else in the region or the world or whatever, and God's blessing them, and there's miracles happening amongst them, and they think differently to us on some things, it doesn't automatically mean that they're right. Nobody's completely right anyway. You know, it's not really right and wrong. It's, it's a case of how do we understand it best? But it doesn't mean that God is authenticating every last belief and statement that they've ever made. Mm-hmm. It just means they're open to God. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, God doesn't turn up to rubber stamp our theology. Mm-hmm. He turns up to demonstrate his gospel yes. and to demonstrate who he is. You know, He'll, He'll turn up wherever he's welcomed. And it doesn't matter... If we, you know, you know, what we think about the creation, you know, or, or the fall or, or anything else, God um, just turns up because his kingdom is <laughs> growing. And that was true even in, in New Testament times. And I've just put um, a little quote here from the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. Um, he was aware that some people had bad motives in preaching Christ. But evidently god was still blessing it Um, he said some preach christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill but what does it matter the important thing is that in every way whether from false motives or true christ is preached and because of this i rejoice that's an amazing attitude isn't it (coughs) that these guys was trying to stir up trouble for Paul while he was in chains, and they were probably thinking it was a good way to get money. They may have been charging for their services, Um, but they're preaching Christ, Mm. and the Gospel is powerful, and the message of Christ was having an effect, and Paul's thinking, well, praise God, you know. So, as I say, it's good to have good theology, but God will still use us, even if we haven't. As it's not a proof of our theology when God blesses us. So, Okay, so um, before next time then, um, why not spend a little bit of time, just ask God to help you base your faith and your relationship with him on more than a certain set of beliefs being true. Why don't we just decide we're going to ditch the tower approach and we're going to base our faith on him on something else. We believe in Jesus and then we'll seek to understand. All right. Amen. 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 Yeah. Excellent. <coughs>